Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome again to another um, part three episode of how can we turn these generic topics into a design thesis project. I'm your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaakov, and we shall look at the rest of the topics. And the, the topics are uh, strategies for revitalizing aging infrastructure in rural areas, examining the relationship between landscape and architecture in urban spaces, exploring the role of cultural identity in the design of public spaces, and investigating the impact of green building design on energy efficiency. I'd like to cover this four topics and how the seemingly generic topics that are more akin to dissertation topics can be changed or can translate into design thesis, which is specific to design problems. And when it is um, thought of in terms, in terms of the site and context, it is easier to actually deal these topics as design thesis topics. Okay, so what we have here, the first one is aging infrastructure in rural areas. Um, what are the strategies? So when we think about rural areas, we think about villages and um, the infrastructure in villages relate to the ecosystem or the a traditional lifestyle of people in the rural areas. And when I think about the Malaysian context, immediately I think of um, the traditional Malay houses in rural areas where the, it, we don't talk only about the building. We talk about how the, the livelihood, the way of living, um, the cultural aspects, and even the social aspects of being a villager um, and how, in terms of uh, what work they do, which is the livelihood, really, uh, many of them are farmers. Um, and I'm not going to go into what type of farmers, but traditionally it exists on its own, and people didn't really have to go to towns and cities because they have their own way of life, and, and um, it suits them fine, and even have uh, festivities and... Uh, social gatherings in rural areas. So when we think about aging infrastructure, the first thing I'm thinking of are um, the change in in uh, these rural areas where um, developers or uh, people who normally develop in the cities are coming to more rural parts of the country and uh, uh, build speculative development there, which is um, not really uh, doing things in a more uh, in a subtle way or in respecting or uh, strategically um, helping with the economy. It's just imposing on the existing landscape and the new structures. How are they sympathetic or? fit into this existing landscape in the rural areas is something else. But we are focusing on um, the revitalizing of the aging infrastructure.
um, is it um, adding tourism products or tourism objectives help to revive um, revitalize the aging infrastructure, which is what is happening in certain parts where a lot of tourists come to the beaches and they like the city centers and the different things that they could uh, look into, maybe nature, for example, in Langkawi. So traditional houses are less and less, obviously, and they, are, they even create new traditional houses to make it as a tourist product where you have homestays and you have um, itineraries where people can come and cook the traditional food and so on. So it is about how happy are people, you know, are people happy? You know, when we focus this as um, something to do as the impact of tourism, for example, whether that's a good thing or not, and other alternatives uh, other than tourism, tourism injection, tourism activities in rural areas. When we look at tourism, is that a good model? So I've always thought that how the Balinese people cope with this is a good example. How they would um, uh, put up policies to maximize the height of buildings, for example, to be built. And I heard that the building must not be higher than the highest coconut tree or something, or the highest tree in the land. The strong belief of the land, the valley, and the mountain, and how natural um, natural phenomena or the natural landscape should be maintained as much as possible was the idea behind that tourism strategy in Bali. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and the um, when you look at traditional houses, even in Malaysian traditional houses, you can see the old ones and the new ones and the relatively new ones. And it's just a way of building them based on certain principles um, that were more relevant before, um, you know, on stilts, for example, there was the issue of flooding and wild animals and ventilating the, the underneath the building. But it came down a bit and become more of a bungalows where you don't have the stilts, but you still get up onto a steps and a certain height uh, when you get to the front step, uh, front entrance that you need to go up the certain steps, but not that high and enough of ventilation that could come in to the underside. So environmental science um, and uh, typology or architectural precedents come together in one, you know, and also building material, obviously. So revitalizing means certain principles need to still be there. Uh, air conditioning or sealing up the building would be detrimental to the idea of um, to the idea of uh, uh, revitalizing this aging Malay traditional houses because it's all about ventilation, right? Ventilation in so many ways, not only the one that I mentioned, but in other ways, um, <clears throat> the way that it is designed and embellished 
uh, also produced in the sort of ecstatics that you can find elsewhere. So if you want to have air conditioning, of course you want to seal it with glass or with non-ventilated um, uh, I mean, material that that need to be able to open and out then. So the design problem is obvious that for strategies for revitalizing aging infrastructure in rural areas include an area, a planning, you know, include planning, urban planning. It's not urban planning, it's rural planning. Includes um, water bodies, um, traditional land uh, use, and modern land use, and how, what is the story? Is it to do with uh, agriculture? Um, then you would think about eco agriculture or something, or permaculture, and how do you actually um, deal with uh, the greening of? The rural area, if if you want to say that now the situation is there's no there's no planning, so you're going to turn into what are the strategies and how people own lands, and uh, the traveling distance would be uh, far um, in terms of working, and it could um, review existing uh, policies or programs in Malaysia, such as the um, Felcra and Felda. You know, there are going to be planning issues that the architect has to deal with if it's going to be a design thesis. Right down to the um, uh, communal spaces and um, traditional houses. And what is the new traditional house? Uh, could it be that there are other things that you need to design for and maybe a disaster management aspect of how some aging infrastructure is um, having those challenges in terms of uh, climate change. But, but this is not a climate change a topic, but it's um, what are you revitalizing these houses and these infrastructure for? Uh, what is it? How, how is it going to be sustainable? So, of course, you can add in other factors in to make it much more complex, your design thesis. Um, but I would think that there are a lot to chew in this topic. The second topic, which is examining the relationship between landscape and architecture in urban spaces. In the context of a tropi uh, tropical country like Malaysia, in urban spaces, this is a big issue where the distance the height, the proportions of in-between spaces. I would even, um, I would even um, um, look at this in activities. You know where you can you can examine um, different types of buildings. What type of building are you do you want to to deal with? Because in my mind, I have a certain type of building. What type of building is it? Housing? Is it low-rise or medium-rise housing? Is it uh, office office buildings or mixed use development or um, shop houses, the new shop houses. Um, last time, the shop houses was designed in a certain way to maximize on um, the land use, but in a way um, limiting the built form to three stories high. But if you were to 
create a higher density and say, okay, maximum five stories, then how do you gonna how are you gonna design the landscape and um, the landscape and architecture, the in between spaces in this respect? Is it different typologies that you need to adopt from different countries and to explore this in the tropical context? So. Um, in between spaces become the special studies of the um, how you explore the relationship between uh, landscape and architecture, but the, but determine first what is the building typology that you are looking into, and in what context and what site. Taking an existing site and trying to regenerate uh, or create. Um, Adaptive reuse something could be interesting, but the complexity of the design problem becomes much bigger and complex. But um, having one that is um, totally new or getting to uh, clear out some of the spaces in existing space, um, you know, finding the site is kind of interesting because the linkages or the experience between one space, one in-between space to another in-between space. Now you're focusing in between space as a, not a leftover space, but the activity is purposely done or that even if it's accidental, it provide the design in detail, provide, um, you know, the, the designer, uh, saw the importance of the sense of space and giving the sense of character to the whole development. Going to the third, um, um, that was quick for number six. Um, I think you can take any, uh, looking back at number six, examining the relationship between landscape and architecture in urban space. You could also imagine, um, explore with very strong building types like hospital or, um, where the size of the rooms can be smaller or in, in clusters and schools because um, there are certain things that can be done in the in-between space that is not normally done in other spaces. This is very purposeful, the, you know, intentional that you choose um, the potential of, of a certain building type that could generate much more interesting spaces for the in-between spaces. I really see the, the relationship between landscape and architecture in a tropical country having to deal with being, uh, getting nature in and how it's oriented uh, as well, you know, with relation to the sun patterns and shadows and especially the microclimate situation at a certain time of the day where you could use the space, um, um, even if it's right uh, in midday, if that can happen, because that, that was one of the design problems that we have now, that during midday, you cannot really use these spaces because it's too hot. But what if you can create a space that people would use during midday, like having a lunch break somewhere? And um, if you could do it by using architecture and positioning it in such a way that you cast shadows and it's well-ventilated, you don't even have to do artif put artificial membranes and stuff like that which you will depend upon um, your sense of material, your sense of, of ori uh, orientation and other aspects, sensorial 
um, or to do with uh, physicality and to do with the feel of it, um, much akin to phenomenological um, uh, sensibilities in some architecture design done before by others, but in a tropical climate. So you can find precedents of architects that have done this before. Yeah, another thing is meditative space, Zen spaces, or the the, the realization of a problem that you put it, uh, you can translate to architecture. Like in an office building, if I want to go, if I'm so stressed out, how do I actually meditate? And is that a space that I can meditate quickly, or I can inspire from? And how does the purpose of that happen um, in a busy office space area? So. Like all this design problem that you can come up with. So going into the um, the next top the, uh, topic is exploring the role of cultural identity in the design of public spaces. Well, anything to do with identity, um, there's so many identities. When we talk about human being, there's so many identities. But when you talk about inanimate objects. Um, how does that inanimate object, such as architecture or art or sculpture, how does it actually relate to you? And how does the design could relate to a culture? Um, cultural identity means that you identify it and say this is a space that feels relating to a culture. So what is, is the culture in, in mind? So the whole investigation of the culture need, needs to be done. If you impose the Mahmeri um, uh, culture or you impose um, the Mandeling, um, Sumatran Mandeling culture or the Minangkabau culture, some of these cultures are not identifiable, even though a person could be of come from um, the Mendeling tribe or their ancestors come from Mendeling tribe. With They have a Mendeling name, for example, but what is that Mendeling identity to them now is something else. Because when you talk about identity, maybe a much more modern identity is important. Artists, for example, I identify myself as an artist I identify myself in, as an architect. Or, um, okay, I identify myself as a watercolorist. Um, I identify myself as a craftsperson that wants to bring alive the craft, a Malay craft, Malay traditional craft in the past. And I work on materials such as timber, and um, but with um, the idea that these uh, crafts that I do are part of household products. Now, you know, it's like there is a, a narrative to culture because, you know, you ask yourself, you ask yourself, like I'm asking myself, for example, as a Malay person born in Malaysia of Malay uh, uh, ethnicity, for example, um, and I found out that I, I am 
from the Rawa community in Sumatra and Minang community in Sumatra as well from my different lineages. And, um, but it's nothing to me. I do not feel anything towards this identity that comes from uh, inherited from my ancestors, for example. And I don't, apart from eating Malay food, I like to eat Malay food because it's something familiar and comforting. But I equally like other food, you know, we can say Chinese food or Indian food or whatever. But of course, when we eat something, um, Indian food, it could be a chatinad or it could be uh, from northern parts of India. And, you know, and it have different spices in it. So those are the, the starting point. When you talk about cultural identity, you got to like find out which culture that you're going to look into. Obviously, if you, you ask this question during the academic year, you waste a lot of time trying to find which cultural identity that you want to deal with. So then here in this topic, it says exploring the role of cultural identity in the design of public spaces. So quite obviously, I've remembered projects such as the um, Chinese performing arts uh, or, or just performing arts uh, center in near Chinatown in Petaling Street um, area. I remember that project uh, and um, one of the students did that. And and the investigation of what is Chinese culture and in the context of Malaysia came out, of course, and how the student need to translate the aspirations or translate the programs that closely um, would um, deal with the Chinese cultural identity, in particular of the Petaling Street, Malaysia, uh, Petaling Street, or that area could be, uh, could have more, uh, when you talk about ethnicity, Chinese the ethnicity, they have many, of course, Hakka um, and uh, Cantonese, Hokkien, those are the languages. So Teochew and all these languages and tribes or clans that, that are related to that space. There's a heritage aspects to thing in that, so you'd identify places that have been there more than 100 years ago, or even better, 200 years ago. And these spaces, I'm trying to think of other projects. You know, like I said about Kampung Baru is a Malay village, so how are you going to deal with the cultural identity of Kampung Baru, for example? So... Obviously, the building building type, like a cultural center or performing arts or um, school uh, of martial arts uh, or something, um, not necessarily martial arts, but school. But um, then it, it also lends to um, the community around it. Who, who is going to use that building? Is that for tourists or is that for the community? Oh, that reminds me of one particular project, which is very interesting, um, by Gin Yong, uh, that dealt with um, uh, three things. The elderly community, the, um, 
of, of the old town in Malacca, near the Jonka Street area, the elderly community, um, the health aspects. The Medicine Hall is quite prominent in terms of the program. Uh, the elderly care center or elderly center that has some sort of facility for health care and daycare. And third was that some of the elderly people could actually work in the budget hotel. So that was a three program that seems to be convincing in a part where they're in existence, about 70% of people are older persons and they are of the Chinese ethnicity. So that was a successful design thesis, in my opinion, at that time. So, yeah, you can come up with three different programs. It doesn't have to be one program, Performing Arts Center. It wouldn't have worked if you had that in that site because that's just kind of a smallish site, you know. And it's a site that faces statues or the Dutch buildings on the other side. So, um, so, but you cannot ignore the community because whenever you do a, a project in Malacca, which is a tourist destination, um, you, you have a project that deals with the community and that is much more in keeping with much more interesting, in fact, with the different dimensions of how the impact of, of um, making uh, income generating for the elderly people as well as sustaining their livelihood uh, or their, their need to have some income, though they are living in an area which is overrun by tourist products. Now, I have a few minutes for the last topic and I managed to get into the last topic now and I'm proud of myself and thank you for listening thus far. The last one, last but not least, uh, number eight, is investigating the impact of green building design on energy efficiency. Whenever people talk about energy efficiency and green building design, and I would, I would want to put out case studies of off-grid living. When we talk about an individual um, living by themselves, off-grid, and somewhere in a rural area or in the forest or in areas where they need to support themselves by shooting and hunting, uh, or uh, farming and living off the land, it is it is a contrast to what's happening to myself, people like myself living in uh, cities where I can go out and get myself lunch, breakfast, or dinner easily. So what is the impact of me getting breakfast, lunch, and dinner easily? The, Organic and inorganic ways, where does it go? You know, it is when we always talk about green building design, to me, it's a bit fascist. Fa fa uh, what? Fake. Sorry, I think I better use the word fake. Because um, the word green building, we're not focusing on the people, we're not focusing on the system of how we exist how we use the, a, a building or facility. 
you know, when the standardization uh, in mid uh, 20th century, back then, uh, we created standardization of space, of, of the dimensions of space based on any uh, environmental science or uh, thermal comfort and usage of space, why you have, you determine certain space so that you can do certain activities. Um, a very much a personal thing, but then you have standardization. So, okay, we'll sell you 900 square feet of uh, flat. And of course, <clears throat> the permutation is I can have two people living in it, or I can have one person living in it, or I can have three people living in it. Uh, um, <coughs> uh, someone who, a family, uh, which is a young couple and a child, or I can have an elderly person with a few cats. I mean, that would suit the 900 square feet of unit of space. Um, and how is that? In this one unit, you have replicate many other units, and then you have a building or a block. When you talk about um, impact of green building design on energy efficiency, is it in terms of dwellings, uh, private accommodations, or public buildings? Or would you want to take an area where, where it's like a housing estate, and you look into the master planning of how efficient the design is in terms of layout, orientation of the sun, the different units, and how it is called green. It is defining and redefining green building. The design thesis project, if you take a typology, I mean, you can take a hospital, you can take a medium-rise hospital spread out, which is better than um, a high-rise hospital, but hospital is very technical. So you have all these other things about medic, um, uh, rehabilitation and efficiency as well. But what, what would be the building typology that you want to investigate the impact of green building design on energy efficiency? Obviously, to me, is um, uh, condominium or flats um, and also the activities and how certain... Um, the unit with the area of living space, um, the dimensions, the climate, everything will have to be stitched together. And there are so many, many design problems there already when you talk about housing. Now, housing seems to be prevalent. This is going to the conclusion of all these topics. People don't usually do housing as a design thesis, because that's what the lecturers think, that there's too many design problems. They, they don't express it that way. But when you talk about design problem in design thesis, when there's like 20 design problems compared to another thesis that has probably 10 design problems or even less, obviously housing project is deemed so complex that for sure it is a design thesis, but too to take on a housing design project for the design thesis is a, a big challenge, yes. And you're not looking for the perfect grade here. You're looking for an exhilarating experience of discoveries and finding out more and more design problems to tackle. And it will really, really keep you busy for that year. So, yeah, housing project would always be like that. And all this 
topics that we have from one to ten, many of them uh, would be ideal for a housing project. For a mixed-use development, it could be done as well in terms of the densities, in terms of how it can knit together um, or create another um, sense of place because of its order and proportion and composition uh, of the mixed-use development. Because when we talk about that, we're talking about um, residential come, commercial come, um, even other aspects, community facilities. When we talk about elderly housing, specific to a demographic, or when we talk about schools, um, some of these schools will be under public facilities, even hospitals, but they have different complex and uh, complexities and problems. So when you choose to do a school or to do a um, hospital, these are highly complex already, the design problems are many. And when people ask questions of you that, I don't think your project is complex enough, but because your project is to do with small, tiny buildings, like just now when we talk about the rural area projects, um, aging infrastructure, how to revitalize them, it has to be a master planning project, and which deals with water bodies or how the land is used, the natural landscape, and even veering into secondary forests. Um, how do you actually deal with permaculture, farms, and sustainability in terms of the ecosystem that um, takes into account, um, you know, to, uh, d previous ways of using the land. So, yeah, it's always exciting when it comes to a design thesis topics. Um, and this is your own, your own baby that you're going to be dealing with from the beginning until the end in about a year. And um, Chat GPT came up with all these topics. And um, I wanted the curriculum for the postgraduate architecture course, but it came up with these topics. So I didn't get what I want. So chat GPT instead gave me typical dissertation topics, but they are considered as well design thesis topics in many universities in this world. So um, therefore the students really have to turn it into um, viable design thesis. And I'm coming, my perspective comes from what I have experienced, which is in Malaysia, is focused on that it has to be architecture and not a uh, planning. But I, I disagree with that. I think that Malaysian schools of architecture with design thesis, you can deal with planning. And that all of these topics can be done by a Malaysian uh, student, uh, I mean, uh, um, a student in a Malaysian school of architecture. So, so there you go. Um, this is the third uh, installation or the third part of um, uh, chat GPT topic, what is the university curriculum, postgraduate architecture design thesis. And this is how I interpret seemingly generic topics generated by artificial intelligence into a design thesis project. So I hope that you've enjoyed all three parts 
And I hope that it has been informative enough for you to think about these things and the relevance of chat GPT in education, in particular in architecture education. Thank you for listening.